Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. This is more about him than it is about her. Most men, we don't really realize at first that we can't fulfill all our wife's needs, and we shouldn't. We can't fulfill her desire to be a woman if the Lord has closed her womb. Now, what he should have said to her is probably, Hannah, you are more to me than ten sons. Guys, stick that away somewhere. You might need it. But if you're anything like me, I remember what I'm supposed to say right after I said what I shouldn't have said. (laughs) But what is clear here is Hannah needs to remove herself from the questions and the provoking. Hannah finally reaches a breaking point and decides to go and plead to the God for a son. She heads to the house of the Lord. She prays in such a way that no words are spoken out loud. Only her lips are moving, and she weeps bitterly. She's at her wit's end, and she turns to the Lord, that only he could help her. Only the Lord could provide what she needed. Only he could rescue her from her situation. Only God could open her womb. Year after year, she was unable to conceive, and year after year, Panina has provoked her. Although she wept bitterly, we don't see anywhere where she's seeking vengeance. And she also doesn't seem to have any resentment towards the Lord. That would be a normal response. And I could understand if she was just a little bit on edge. She was in great anguish. Yet she did the right thing. She took all of her feelings and she prayed honestly to God. In Psalm 6, David seems to echo these same feelings. He cries out, how long, O Lord, how long? I am wore out of all my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with tears and I drench my couch with weeping. Hannah prays to the Lord, and as she prays, she prays a vow to the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. She felt attacked by her rival, and she went and called upon her protector. She promises her son to work for the Lord for his whole life. No razor should touch his head. This is like, if not a Nazarite vow, which normally has a time frame. You remember like Paul in Acts 18? Hannah says, all the days of his life, he will be yours, Lord, forever. If she prayed this prayer only thinking of herself, she wouldn't have made such an extreme vow. And we might only have a summary of her prayer because in verse 12 it says, and she continued praying. Her mouth did not move. Her mouth moved, but no words. Her voice was not heard. One reason it's good for us to pray out loud is that if we hear What we're praying about, it helps us in focusing our thoughts. But a prevailing prayer or prayers with power and influence does not have to be heard by others. Praying with power can be silent and in your heart. A powerful prayer can be just in your heart. C.S. Lewis says that the prayer exclusively with the mind is a golden moment. But the moments don't happen that often due to the lack of mental and spiritual strength. God's ways are not our ways, 
His thoughts are way beyond our understanding. David describes our helplessness as ignorance, kind of like sheep, unable to fully understand. That's why we need a shepherd. We should be depending upon our shepherd. Hannah brings tears and sighs, her longings, which are all an expression of her sad heart. She brings them into the presence of the Lord. Psalms 5, 1 through 2. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cries, my King and my God. For it's to you I pray. 826 in Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in weakness. For we do not know what to pray. For what we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Now, Elk and I was watching, and we are sure that the priest is going to be able to help. He makes an assessment. Eli is a father of two worthless sons, and he concludes that this is a worthless woman. What an embarrassing assessment of his spiritual insight. He concludes that she's drunk, just like the crowd on the day of Pentecost in Act 2. It's too bad when your pastor lets you down. You pour out your heart, and he just doesn't get it. As she reaches out for help, he accuses her of being drunk. He assumes the worst of her, and I'm sure this compounded her grief. She tells him she has been pouring out her heart before the Lord, speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. She is not a worthless woman. So Eli changes his course. Well, in that case, go in peace. And the God of Israel grants you petition that you have made to him. And she says, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. She had brought her grief to the Lord. And before it was answered in a way that she thought it might, should have been, her attitude changed. She wasn't pregnant. There was no son. But she was truly living out 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Five, six, and seven. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, for that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Hannah did exactly that. She cried out to God. She laid down or casted all her anxieties on him. This is because she knew he cared. I pray that you know God cares. I pray that you cast your anxieties on him. I pray that you don't carry them around. I know it's not easy always, but remember, he loves you. He loves you and he cares for you. That's one of those things I wanted you to write down in your notes. God cares for me. You can put your name in there. God did not do exactly what she wanted. She didn't know what God was doing or why, but she yielded herself to the Lord, to whatever he decided, child or no child. You are God and I am your servant. Helen Rosenberg went home to be with the Lord in 2016. She was an English Christian missionary, a doctor, and an author. She went to the Congo to serve as a medical missionary. In the uprising of the 60s, many of her friends were murdered. She was physically tortured and brutalized and went back to England just a shadow of herself. Once repaired physically and emotionally, she turned around and went right, right back to the Congo, right back to where she was working, right back where all the conflict happened, right back to where she was brutalized. And when asked, how did you resolve that? How did you deal with the ob obvious dilemma? You offered yourself, your medical degree, 
your marriage, your life, family, kids, everything, and this happens. Helen said that she felt when she heard God say to her, Helen, can you thank me for testing you with this, even if I never tell you why? And Helen said finally when she got to the place to where she could say, she says, when I answered yes, it was only then that the peace began to flood my soul. Hannah answered yes. And in the challenging dilemma of each of our lives, surely the only stabilizing answer for each of us is yes. They rose early in the morning, worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their home in Ramah. The Lord remembered Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. She called his name Samuel because I had asked for him from the Lord. Samuel means God heard or name of God. Elkanah and his house went up to offer to the Lord yearly sacrifices and to pray his vow. But Hannah did not go. Hannah stayed behind until she weaned Samuel. Once Samuel was weaned, and I read that weaning could have been anywhere from three to eight years old, Hannah brought her child to Eli. Verse 26, chapter 1. And she said, O Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I had made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord then. We move on to chapter 2. This is Hannah's song or Hannah's praise of prayer. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn exalts in the Lord. My mouth deprives my enemy. Because I rejoice in your salvation, there is none holy like you, Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like you, God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him action is weighed. The bow of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. Baron has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He rises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them set with princes and inherit the seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall he cut off into darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Thank the Lord for his word. Hannah prays. She prays to a God of provision. She prays for a gift of a son, Samuel. And she prays, prays to the Lord. Some refer, as I said, to this as Hannah's song. When she looks back, she could probably see now the provoking of Panina, her rival, that was allowed in her life to draw her to a heartfelt prayer to God. Hannah's prayer went from a prayer of vexation to a prayer of exaltation or elation. 
God has provided, and Hannah's prayer goes way beyond her own circumstances. It's also God's purpose for Israel, and it includes God's purpose for the whole world. The whole Bible does this. If you look for it, you'll find it. It's best if we don't miss it when we're studying Scripture, that it all points towards Jesus. Verse 1 and 2 is about what God has done, the past. Verses 3 through 8 is what God is doing, what he's doing right now. And verses 9 and 10 is what God will do. In verse 1, it's a verse that says, me, me, me. Three times we see my, my heart, my horn, and my mouth. Now, this isn't a heart, this isn't a prayer centered on Hannah. When she says, my heart exalts the Lord, this isn't an emotional surge that she's having. But it speaks of the center of her existence. Many times in the Bible, it uses the word heart, and it's not talking about the organ that pumps your blood or just your emotion. It includes also her mind, her will, and her affection. With all she has, Hannah worships God. She praises the Lord for what he has done and what he's going to do and what he is doing. There is no way that she rejoices in leaving her son. A son that she longed for. Any mother worth her salt would have a hard, painful time of giving up a child. So when she says, my heart exalts the Lord, it's like in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. She is not happy because she's free of the trouble of raising her son. She's happy because of who God is. No matter what happens in your life. You might not be happy with what's happening, but you can always praise God for who he is. My heart and my horn. Now, the Bible speaks of horn. It's a picture of strength in the Bible. The strength of an ox can be expressed in his horn. When I think of horns, I think of an elk. They can have horns out to about four feet or so. Do you know that the larger the antlers are of an elk, that attracts mate and it mates and it intimidates its rivals because larger Antlers is an indication of a healthier animal. Yeah, that's right. Elk don't have horns, even though I think of them. They have antlers. Horns are found in sheep, goats, and cattle. Hannah speaks of strength and power, being exalted in God. Just a few verses earlier, Hannah was a mess. She was at her wit's end. She was crying bitterly, not eating. She was vexed in her spirit. What happened? What happened in Hannah's life? She found that her hope, her strength is in the Lord, not in her circumstance. My heart exalts and rejoices. My strength is exalted in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. My mouth speaks out. I laugh at my enemies. Or in other words, I have an answer for my enemies. Hannah has a strong sense of victory. And because she is human, I'm sure that there might have been a sideways glance over to her rival, Penina. Because I rejoice in your salvation, she is rejoicing in the triumph of the living God over those who oppose his people. She says, I rejoice because you have rescued me. In chapter 11, when Hannah sought the Lord for help, she vowed a vow. O Lord of hosts, look upon my affliction, the affliction of your servant. This is the language of God's people. In the past, when the people cried out, she is asking God, that he would do what he's done in the past. That he has done before, echoing the language of God's people on the occasions of great deliverance. When the people were delivered by the power of God. And they were exalted in the presence of the deliverance. 
We need to understand that there are connections between what is God has done for Hannah as an individual and what God is doing for the people corporately. She uses a form of classic Hebrew poetry in her, in her prayer or song. It doesn't rhyme words by sound as much as it rhymes words with the idea or the situation. There is none holy like you, Lord, holy, complete, set apart, for there is none beside you. She is saying the very same thing as she's saying, there is none holy like you, Lord, only saying it in a different words. When she says, nor is there any rock like our God, she again says the same thing with different words. I like that. I like, nor is there any rock, solid. I think of solid, my refuge, fortress. My immovable foundation. Many of the problems we have today is that people don't build their lives on something solid. They don't build their lives on the rock. They build their life on a foundation that continues to move. How can their life stay in one direction when their foundation continues to move? It says in the Bible there will be a great fall. In Isaiah 40, 18 through 20, it says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares to him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for the offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up his idol that will not be moved. Even a pagan knows that they do not want their God. They do not want their idol falling over when the wind blows. To whom will you compare God? He sets above the framework of the universe, and he looks upon the inhabitants of the world as grasshoppers. God is not impressed with any leader currently in power today on the earth, nor has he ever been impressed by any ruler throughout history. This is the God that Hannah exalts. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no one like him. We're not dealing with a higher power. We're not dealing with a concept or something that you look into to find yourself. We're dealing with the living God. Hannah says from her personal perspective, I exalt God. My heart, my strength, my voice, I deride the enemies of God because they are the enemies of God. God is holy and powerful, but he is also a God of knowledge. By him, actions will be weighed. Your actions, my actions. I know some of you, there's an ouch right there. In Isaiah 40, 13, who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. So whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You don't hide anything from God. As you sat there this morning, as I stand here this morning, God knows our hearts. Romans 2, 16 says, the day is coming. When God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. By this, the Lord of knowledge, actions are weighed. Remember Daniel? Remember Daniel chapter 5 when Belshazzar, he's having this amazing party. He invites a thousand guests. He has his concubines and his wives there. And they're using the material that had been stolen from the temple of the Lord. A hand appears and writes on the wall. Daniel tells us that Belshazzar is shaking in his boots. He calls for his enchanters, astrologers, and his fortune tellers. 
He wants them to interpret what the hand has written on the wall. Then they can't do it. Then after a little while, the queen's mother remembers that there's this guy, Daniel. She says, you need to bring Daniel. So he does bring Daniel forth. And Daniel tells him, let me tell you exactly what this is. God has written this king. You know Nebuchadnezzar? You know what happened to him? Yet you have not humbled yourself before God. Your pride and you defile the God of heaven. You have these cups that are from the temple. You bring them out. You drink wine from them and you praise a God of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor do anything at all. But you have not honored God who gives you breath and life. And then Daniel tells him what is written. You will be judged for your actions. God is the God of knowledge. You have been weighed in the balance and you have been found wanting. This is at the very core of what the Bible teaches, that God will finally one day judge and separate people from one another. There will be a separation. There will be that day of judgment. All will be lined up before the Lord. This is why he's a God of mercy. He gives us his word. That's why he speaks to us in love. He speaks to us in love about our conditions. He tries to stop us in our tracks. That's why he tries to put us in a place where our foolishness will end. And it's all because he loves us, not wanting any would perish. Wanting us all to know the life that he's called us to. All of us to know the life that he has planned for us. He sent his hand. And you read at the end of the chapter, that very night, Belshazzar died. In verse 4, it says, the bow of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind in strength. Remember when the Philistines, they're sent running for their lives. Now, it's not because of the massive power of the Israel army, because all they did was they would stand there every morning, looking as a giant came out and taunted them. No, God reaches down and he takes a feeble boy, a young, ruddy-faced boy. All he has is a sling and five stones. Remember what Saul says? He says, hey, hey, wear my armor. And David, he tries it on. It looks ridiculous. It's so huge, it doesn't fit. Saul says, well, what are you going to do now? And David says, well, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to take these five stones. I'm going to take this sling. And I'm going to trust in God. And I'll go from there. I can imagine Saul's face as David walks out of the tent. Saul's just shaking his head and says, that guy's dead. We should be humble before our God, but we know that he knows how to humble the strong. Those who are full are now begging. God knows how to exalt the weak. If you this morning, right now, are in a place that is low or weak, you should ask God to help you wait humbly before him and then let him lift you up in his timing. In Luke 14, 7 through 11, Jesus teaches, he teaches them about humility. He notices people going to a dinner, and they're all trying to sit at the, the seat of honor, near the head of the table. And he gives advice to those around him. And he says, hey, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. If someone more distinguished than you comes, who had been invited, the host would have to come and tell you, hey, uh, I need you to give your seat up for this person. You'll be embarrassed when you have to take a seat at the foot of the table. 
Instead, take the lowest seat that's available at the foot of the table. And then when your host sees you there and he will come to you and says, hey, friend, I have a better place for you. And you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.